Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us here at Grace Crossing Church. My name is Life Anderson. I'm the executive pastor here. And this morning, Grace Crossing, in a sense, is in two places. Pastor Gill is in downtown Dayton at a Rwandan church. He's speaking there. In fact, we were kind of in three places. He was in um, Alberta, Canada, uh, or excuse me, Manitoba, doing some of the leadership development that Mark Middleton spoke about last week with um, Equip Ministries. But one of the things that Gil is doing is he's really formed a, a great relationship with this pastor um, from Rwanda, and we're looking at opportunities on how to not only help and come alongside them as a church, but also to learn. Uh, one of our oneness, with our oneness value, there's a big component we want to continue to learn and help kind of twofold with people of other cultures, genders, and economic statuses. So we're really excited um, about that possibility. In fact, I'd like to just pause right now and just pray for him and just pray for us as a church if that might be a possibility for us in the future. So please bow with me in prayer. In prayer. Father, Thank you so much uh, for this opportunity for Pastor Gill. Um, he's probably speaking right now at this Rwandan church. I pray that you would use him in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, to bring your message to them, Lord. And we pray for future opportunities possibly with this church to know how to come alongside of them. I know they've got needs with immigration and English as a second language and as a language and different things like that. So please guide us, Lord. Uh, we're really open and surrendered to you, and we want to continue to grow um, as a church in this whole area of oneness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in a series on the kingdom of God, as Josh shared. And Josh, thanks so much for your leadership, your words. Really appreciated, really appreciated that time of worship. And we're defining the kingdom of God as this. It's a movement of God founded on Jesus Christ, expanded to those committed to his values and his purposes on planet Earth. So far, we've discussed that the kingdom has a king, Jesus Christ. The kingdom has citizens that are born again. In other words, they've repented and turned from living life their own way, and now they've turned to the king to follow him. And the kingdom has keys, Keys that have access, authority, and authorization. Last week, Mark Middleton shared that the kingdom, past, present, and future, it started very small and began to get very, very large. He shared the illustration from his own life um, as a missionary kid and his parents as missionaries in Ethiopia with the Afar tribe where for years they were praying and ministering to this tribe and no one came to Jesus Christ. And just recently, while he was at his church up in Toronto, somebody from the pulpit began to speak and they were from that Afar tribe. And they shared that they were one of the first members of this tribe to give their life to Jesus. And he shared with us that now that zero to one is now 200 people that have come to know Jesus Christ. This reminded me of the kingdom and the mystery of the kingdom that it starts small like a mustard seed. And then it gets really, really big like a huge tree where birds can nest in it. I mean, even the history of Christianity started with 12 disciples and get this, right now, 
From Pew Research Center, from 2015 stats, there's 2.3 billion Christians in our world today, making Christianity the largest religion in the world. So this morning, we're going to talk about the mysteries of the kingdom. How many of you like a good mystery out there? How many of you like shows like 2020, Dateline, some of those whodunit kind of shows? My wife loves those shows. In fact, when she wants to wind down, I can find her on the couch, wrapped up in a blanket, and watching 2020 or Dateline. In fact, just last week, I was walking through the living room, and I hear on there, you know, they always come up with these crazy titles, like The Husband and the Hitman, you know? And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, she was nestled in there and just really, really enjoying, enjoying that show. I also heard from one of our trustees, we were having a, a breakfast and a trustee meeting. There's another mystery that goes way back. And it's the show that says, only the shadow knows. That may date some of you that know that show. Well, this mystery and intrigue also shows up in this movie. This movie is filled with mystery. And I like that, that, that scene where Belle first enters the castle. She's, there's, there's a lure of discovery as she walks into there. And a lot of you that have watched that movie, there's a darkness in there. She starts to hear these voices, but it begins to lure her. She's not afraid. There's something about the mystery in this castle that draws her in. And her discoveries are mixed. They're mixed with good people, like Mrs. Potts. And they're mixed with bad people, like Gaston. There's also both seen and unseen aspects to her reality. What she sees with her naked eye isn't always true. For instance, like the beast, he, show, he shows himself as the enemy and the villain, yet he turns out to be the hero. This is very much like the kingdom of God. It is filled with mysteries that are hard to understand. And interestingly enough, God wanted it this way for a purpose. In fact, Jesus used a particular teaching method of parables or stories in order to draw us into this whole aspect of mystery. See, the purpose of a parable or a story was to allow those with a ready heart of understanding to hunger for more. And those with a not ready heart to simply walk away. Jesus explains his purpose further in Matthew 13, 10 through 17. Let's take a look at this scripture. The disciples came and asked, Jesus, why do you tell these stories, these parables? He replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. 
I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. And this is a prophecy. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. But you have God-blessed eyes, eyes that see, and God-blessed ears, ears that hear. A lot of people, prophets and humble believers among them would have given anything to see what you are seeing, to hear what you are hearing, but never had the chance. You know, it strikes me the end of that passage because I think, I take for granted the magnitude and the privilege of what we get to know and what we get to be a part of with the kingdom of God. Because as we see in that last part, there were people, prophets, and humble people that didn't get to see these things. Well, one commentator put it this way in regards to parables. He said that Jesus did not use parables to confuse or condemn but to excite interest and arouse their curiosity about the kingdom. These parables would give light to those with trusting, searching hearts, but would bring darkness to the unconcerned and unrepentant. Jesus also used parables throughout the gospels, but the parables that we're gonna look at today, these are unique. They're unique in the sense of he calls them the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Take a look at Matthew 13, 11 in the New American Standard. It says, to, Jesus answers and says, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So we're gonna look at some of these mysteries today. And as we look at them, we're gonna look at, uh, there's a number of them in Matthew 13. In fact, there's seven of them. We're just gonna look at a few, and then we're gonna look at one out of the uh, Gospel of Mark. And usually in a parable or a story, there's just one main idea. So I'm gonna focus on one main idea after we read each parable. And some of these parables, they're very similar, so I'm gonna combine some of them because they're em emphasizing the same point. But from there, I'm going to share some implications of these parables for us about the mysteries of the kingdom. And I also chose the message, as you saw in that last uh, version or in the last screen, uh, because I think the message does a, one of the best jobs of just telling story. It just kind of flows a lot easier. So you'll be seeing a lot of the message version as we look at these. So what's the first mystery? The first mystery is this. The kingdom is mixed with good and bad. Let's take a look at Matthew 13, 24 through 30. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. That night, while his hired men were asleep, his enemy sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the, the thistles showed up too. The farmhands came to the farmer and said, Master, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? 
The next one I want you to take a look at is very, very similar here. And we're looking at Matthew 13, 47 to 50. God's kingdom is like a fish net cast into the sea, catching all kinds of fish. When it is full, it is hauled onto the beach. The good fish are picked out and put in a tub. Those unfit to eat are thrown away. That's how it will be when the curtain comes down on history. The angels will come and call the bad fish and throw them in the garbage. There will be a lot of desperate complaining, but it won't do any good. Just like Bell learned in Beauty and the Beast, as a story unfolded, there's good and bad. It's the same way with the kingdom. And she was fooled, because sometimes we get fooled who's really good and who's really bad. For instance, the beast, we saw that. But in the end, his heart was full of love. So the main idea in these parables that I want to emphasize is the kingdom is mixed with true and false believers based on their heart, not just on their behavior. And we can be fooled either way. For instance, a true believer can be very silent and we may not be able to tell of the heart condition and their faith in Jesus Christ. I found this out when I was in Kazakhstan. There, when someone gave their life to Jesus Christ in a, in a Muslim culture, they most likely were giving up family, they were giving up job, and get this, a couple of the athletes that we worked with there even had their family wanting to kill them. And so they stay silent until they can get stronger with their faith before they begin to share with their family or with other people. So we've got to be really careful, knowing this about the kingdom, that even true believers can be in this kind of silent place. On the flip side, there's false believers. There's people pretending that they are, in fact, believers in Jesus Christ. But as we know from experience, Leaders, believers, fall away from the faith. And we wonder why. Jesus here wants us just to be aware of that reality. It's so devastating when something like that happens and someone that we thought was there really, really wasn't. Yet Jesus lets us know that this is true. And, and, and in these parables, we also see that the enemy is involved. The devil is involved and there will be also a final harvest as we see here. And interestingly, the angels will be involved to help separate the true from the false believers. So what are some of the implications of this parable, this mystery parable? We are not called to play judge. I drove by Planet Fitness and there's a big sign on their windows, no judgment zone. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom is a no judgment zone. We've got to be really careful when it comes to this area because so often we're prone to judge. Another implication is on the flip side, even though we're not called to judge, we are, we are called to be very discerning. 
God has given us his word. God has given us the Holy Spirit. God has given us one another in order to see blind spots, to see in the body, to know how to go about helping those that may not be walking with the Lord. He wants to give us wisdom to shepherd. He also wants to help us with church discipline. We see a lot of that in 1 Corinthians where Paul is faced with so many troubles in the Corinthian church. And there's proper ways to handle that without judgment. The last implication is that we need to stay in our own lanes with our gifts and the calling God has placed on us. We're not called to overfunction and try to do someone else's ministry or um, try to uh, push in with our gifts in different ways. I, I think this shows up too with just sometimes God has called each of you in your jobs, in your families, in your neighborhoods to have influence. And he doesn't want us comparing like, I'm not as influential as that person or I'm not as influential as the pastor, or I'm not as influential as this leader. He really wants to break us from even that comparison when it comes to ministry and being used by God because it's so easy to do. The other one I wanna throw out there is being careful not to judge other denominations, a no judgment zone in other denominations. Sometimes we think our denomination or our church is better. And this is a a parable that's showing us that there's a mixture going on that we just don't know fully and we won't fully know until the end. So as we stay in our lane, here's what our job is. Our job is, as believers, is two things. Listen and obey God and carry out what he's calling you to do. God's job God's job is to do the judging. He, at the harvest time, will separate things out. Let's do our job and let God do his job. The second mystery that I want to share with you is that the kingdom is both seen and unseen. Let's take a look at Mark 4, 26 through 28. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. This is another very interesting parable. And I want to point out a few things in this parable. There's a portion of the kingdom that is seen. We see this in this parable where the man, there's daytime. So he, he's seeing what's growing. He's seeing what's happening. And he gets up. He gets up and he's aware. There's a portion of the kingdom that is unseen here. Nighttime. He has no idea what's happening. When he's sleeping, he is not aware. This is really important. All the time happening, even right here this morning, there's two worlds that are existing. There's the seen world and there's the unseen world. Jesus was fully aware of this at one of the most traumatic times in his life as he was being led to crucifixion. 
Let's look at John 18, 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was able to be in the seen kingdom of the world at the same time being fully aware there's of his kingdom, this heavenly kingdom, this unseen kingdom. God is calling us to have those same eyes. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we live by faith, not by sight. The seen and the unseen. The next aspect of this parable is the mystery aspect, where in this parable it says the man is, is, is up and awake, but there's growth happening, though he does not know how. And that doesn't mean he doesn't know how plants grow. There's things happening. It's just a mystery. You can't explain it. And the last aspect of this parable is, is that growth will always bear fruit, as we see in the stock, in the head, in the kernel. Well, the main idea from this parable is that the way God moves in the heart of an individual or a church is mysterious and can at times be completely independent of human effort. What are some of the implications of this? Don't just go by what you see. Much is happening that you're not aware of. A second implication, trust God is moving in the unseen. And third, ask him to reveal to you the unseen as we just saw in the passages in 2 Corinthians. God wants to tune us into the unseen world. And we need to be praying for that. And it only will come by faith. You know, I've sensed in our church and Pastor Gill and I have been praying and, uh, and, and talking about, Lord, what are you doing in the unseen aspect of Grace Crossing Church? Where are you working that we might not be seeing with our naked eye? And together, we've come to this agreement that right now, Grace Crossing Church is kind of in a preparation phase. God's doing a lot of soil work underneath the ground, obviously. And he's preparing our hearts. He's been preparing our hearts with the Emotional Healthy Spirituality Series in the, in the connection groups. He's been preparing our hearts with prayer and fasting and moving us towards prayers and actions that reflect wisdom, indifference, and a quiet trust as we seek him with future plans for our church. He's softening us. And we're growing, although much of it is unseen right now. We can't see a lot. But he's working in our hearts. And soon, we will see it more and more. The stock will be visible, then the head of grain, and then the full kernel. He's at work here. 
at Grace Crossing Church in the day and in the night. And as a body, let's embrace the seen and the unseen of what he's doing. The third mystery I don't think is gonna be quite as mysterious as the first couple. Although I think we know some of the things that I've shared. For me, as I was reading those parables, it just kind of galvanizes it, locks it in like, oh, okay, this is part of the kingdom. It's not like something I gotta kind of fight and not be aware of. This third one, I think you're gonna be a little bit familiar with, and it's this, that the kingdom needs to be our number one priority. Let's look at Matthew 6.33, a familiar verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I love the message translation of this, also Matthew 6.33. Steep your life in God reality, that seen and unseen, that God initiative where it's coming just from him and those God provisions where all we can say is, I don't know how it happened, but God did it. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. God is calling us to go all in, push all our chips in on this kingdom. Wherever we're at, whether we know a little or whether we know a lot, he's calling us to go all in and make this a priority in our lives. And this shows up in two parables. The first one is Matthew 13, 44. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a find! and proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. And another one similar is found in, in Matthew 13, 45 to 46. Our God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant on the hunt for excellent pearls. Finding one that is flawless, he immediately sells everything and buys it. The main idea from these parables the kingdom is priceless and we are called to surrender all and go in to attain or buy it. It's one reason what I loved when Josh shared this idea of surrender. Entrance into the kingdom. And to stay with a kingdom mindset once we're there, we've gotta be surrendered. We've gotta stay in that surrendered state. And when we prioritize the kingdom, we prioritize the king, Jesus. We prioritize his values and his ethic of love, of loving God, loving self, and loving others. And we also prioritize his church. So as we've been talking about the kingdom, you might be asking, where does the church fit into this? How does the church fit into the kingdom? What's the church's role? Well, God has established the church to usher in his kingdom on earth like it is in heaven. The church's role is to be a community of individuals spiritually linked together through the person of Jesus Christ with the purpose of reflecting and leading through the values of the kingdom of God. 
so that the kingdom of heaven may come right down here on earth. I love this illustration that I saw in this book. It says the church is like an embassy. You know, I lived in Kazakhstan for two years, as I alluded to earlier. And I had to go by, you know, the laws of Kazakhstan in a lot of ways. A former communist country, very, very different from the U.S. But when I got onto that U.S. embassy and I could walk to that from where we lived, I was instantly on U.S. soil. And once I was there on U.S. soil, all the rights, all the privileges, all the laws, and all the values of the United States, they took precedent right in that embassy. It's the same with the church and the kingdom. The church is a lot like an embassy of the kingdom on earth in all parts of the world, even as I shared from Ethiopia to here in the United States. And we are to usher the values, the rights, the power and privileges that God has granted us to usher in his kingdom on all parts of the globe. That's why God has given us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And it's powerful. It's powerful to think that the first priority of the church is to usher in the kingdom is to have a kingdom mindset with what we do. And we have that privilege entrusted to us. And he promises to come alongside of us to help us. So as a church, we cannot get, get distracted with buildings, programs, own agendas, sin, and the world's values in ushering in the kingdom here on earth. We need to seek first his kingdom. We need to keep it our main priority. And even if buildings and programs are needed to move the kingdom forward, and we're talking about that, we've got to make sure it's with a kingdom purpose. And then we got to press on. Everything we do should be assessed by this kingdom priority. Will it further the kingdom of God? That's what we've got to ask ourselves, both individually and as a church. Well, as we close this morning, you still may have a number of questions about the kingdom of God. I hope I was able to answer some of them. The truth is God's word has only given us so much information on the kingdom. And we're gonna continue in this series through May to answer more questions. And I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you, like I talked about earlier with what the purpose of parables are. Keep leaning in to understand about this kingdom. But I also want to encourage you as you do, leave room for mystery. Give margin for the unknown. In God's kingdom, there will always be mystery and we need to embrace it and trust and surrender because he can be trusted. Sometimes I wonder with all the information that we have on the internet, if we've lost the wonder of the mystery of God, it's okay not to have all the answers. He is God and we are not. There are some things that will remain a mystery. And this was pressed into my mind when I went to seminary. I thought, life, when you get here, you're gonna get all the answers. And one of the greatest truths that I was left with after four years getting my master's degree there 
It's a long one, the Masters of Divinity. I learned that God's, one of God's main attributes is mystery. There's some things we just won't know. And that was tough to swallow, but I'm so thankful for it because it's true and it's an important aspect of the kingdom. Let's pray together. Please stand. Father, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you that you're ushering it here, down here on earth, through Jesus, through the church. And I pray for us, Lord God, help us to hold intention that there's mystery in this kingdom. And I pray that it drives us to trust you more, to surrender more, and to be freed up, Lord God, to further the kingdom on earth right here at Grace Crossing Church and in our lives and in the Beaver Creek Dayton area. We need you. And thank you so much for revealing some of the mysteries that you have. And I pray that we can continue to grow and learn more about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.